Happy Sabbath, church. I tell you what, it has been um, a pretty enjoyable last couple of weeks. My family and I had a chance to get away for a little bit. We went out to California where we got to breathe in some coastal air. It's been a while since we've been around a large body of water like an ocean. Um, and then, la- or I guess the week after we, we came back from California, we got to hang out in Wyoming, of all places, at Mill Spring Ranch up on Casper Mountain in Wyoming. And I tell you what, in a place like that, um, standing in front of a, a, a boundless ocean, uh, whether you're at the beach or on the mountains, I tell you, my heart hears and perceives the glory of God. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, you, you just look and you listen, and you breathe it in, and you realize that all of this came from the spoken word of God. That's powerful to me. That speaks to me of a God who has amazing power, unfathomable intelligence and creativity, and yet this God who is so powerful is so very personal, right? Like you were saying, Rick, in your prayer, that this is a God who is with us, um, so when July hit, July 1, I kind of, in my mind, I, I, I keyed that into my mind as almost like a new year. It's halfway through the year, and so I just kind of reassessed some of my own spiritual goals and stuff. And I don't know if at the beginning of a new year, you like to start new reading plans or, you know, you start new spiritual practices or whatever the case. But in, in July, I started reading from the beginning of the Bible once again. And so over the last few months, I've been reading through Genesis and Exodus, and I've been reading about God's power, but you know what? As I've been reading those books, I've been captivated by the picture of a God who is personal. I mean, think about this. This personal God wants personal connection with his people, even post-fall, after the Garden of Eden, after sin enters the world. Time and again, he's speaking to individuals. This is a God who is personal, who meets us on a personal level. I mean, you read in Genesis about God walking with Enoch. And then he, he instructs Noah. And then he calls Abraham out of Babylon and even eats in Abraham's tent. This is a God who really likes to get personal. He wrestles with Jacob. He appears to Moses in a burning bush. He passes before Moses atop of Mount Sinai and says, This is my glory. And then he speaks to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Do you realize that this God who is all-powerful, yes, is also a God who wants personal communication and communion with each and every one of us? Over the next few weeks, just want to kind of do a little mini-series because I want us to explore this a bit more. Just you and me, personal encounters with a personal God. This amazing picture of a God who is not just out there somewhere, but who wants to be right here every single day of the week. Amen. Not just on the seventh day, praise the Lord, for the Sabbath, but every single day, every morning by morning, He invites us to communion with Him. And so the goal of this little series is just to recapture this vision of a personal God who invites each of us to know Him personally, each of us to know Him individually, not just secondhand, but firsthand exposure, where we, like Abraham, could have a testament. Yeah, He talked to me and He told me I should go here. (gasps) Where we could walk with God like Enoch walked with God, where one day we would be able to walk right into the very presence of God. I want that. I want that. And so what we're going to do 
is actually we're not going to be looking at these stories of old from uh, you know the, the stories of the patriarchs in Genesis or whatever. We're actually going to my favorite gospel, the gospel of Mark, because this personal God took it upon himself to become a person, to step into our, our shoes, so to speak. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We're going to the gospel of Mark, and we're just going to look at snippets and pictures where Jesus has a personal one-on-one encounter with somebody, okay? So we're going to the Gospel of Mark, and and the goal of this series, again, is just to recapture this vision of a personal God who invites each of us to know Him personally. And I I just want to ask a heart question. You don't have to raise your hands. Just raise your conscience, uh, so to speak. How is your personal relationship with Jesus? How is it today? The question that we want to ask throughout this series, maybe a secondary question is how to have that personal connection, but maybe the primary question is when I do have that, what should I expect? What's going to happen in my heart and in my life? And so today, join me, and over the next few weeks, join me. I invite you to join me in praying to experience a revival, a revival in our personal communion, in our personal relationship with Jesus. Does that sound like a prayer you want to pray over the next few weeks? Yeah, me too. I, I, I've been longing for that too. There's a phrase over and over throughout the Psalms, revive me according to your word. And that's what I want to experience in the next few weeks. So Mark chapter 5, one of my, I, I'll, I'll admit it, it is my favorite gospel. Mark has a quick way of telling his stories. But interestingly enough, it seems like in Mark chapter 5, Mark stretches out all the details he possibly can because he wants us to be drawn into this drawn into the portraits of Jesus, the God who is personal. And so here we are, Mark chapter 5, and we're going to just divide up this story. It's verses 1 through 20 that we're going to read. We're going to divide up this story into three scenes, if you will. Three chapters, three, three sections to this story, and each scene has an assurance of what happens when we encounter this personal God. So if you're in Mark chapter 5, verse 1, go ahead and say, Amen. All right? We're in Mark chapter 5, verse 1, and you'll notice that right before Mark chapter 5 is Mark chapter 4, right? And at the end of Mark chapter 4, Jesus has taken a boat. He's actually, I guess his disciples have taken him in a boat, and they've gone across the Sea of Galilee, and it's been a stormy sea that night. And this was one of those situations that Jesus commanded them to go across to the other side, but the disciples became fearful in the midst of this storm. You remember this story, maybe. And it's as if uh, Jesus is totally oblivious to all of this, because where is Jesus in the boat? He's in the back, and he's sleeping. And the disciples, out of fear and out of frustration, they wake him up and say, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus stands up in the boat and says, Peace, be still. Who is he talking that to? Who is he speaking that to? The storm. But in fact, I would submit that he's, he's actually speaking to the disciples. Hey, I'm trying to sleep. Just be quick. No, 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 no. That's, that's not the parent at 2 a.m. Jesus is speaking to the disciples' unquieted hearts. But, but here we, we are, we are kind of, we're in the midst of this physical storm, but Jesus has in mind a different kind of storm. In fact, when he gave them the command to cross to the other side of the sea, he anticipated a spiritual storm of sorts. So let's go to it. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. 
It says this in the New King James. It says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, the, the, the side that, that Jesus had commanded them to go to, the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with a what kind of spirit? An unclean spirit. All right. Man, what a greeting committee. <laughs> Someone from the tombs who is possessed of the devil. And in fact, in verse 3, it says, who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains. It's really interesting as you look at this picture of the demoniac, we'll call him the demoniac. This is someone who, who could not be bound. In other words, he was free, but in reality, he wasn't free at all. Yeah? It's a picture of tensions. He's free, but he's bound. He's strong, but he's miserable. In fact, I think this is a picture that, uh, that Isaiah spoke about in Isaiah chapter 57. Actually, God is the one who is speaking here. It says, But the wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And when Mark is kind of putting together these stories, I imagine that he has in mind not just a physical storm that's, that's causing a, a ruckus in the physical water. He's talking about hearts that have been so storm-tossed by Satan and sin that there's no peace for the wicked. And this is the portrait that we see. In verse 4, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, the shackles broken in pieces, nor, neither could anyone tame him. Again, a picture of freedom, but really he's, he is not free at all. Verse 5, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Uh, this, is, this is harsh reality. There are times in life where we become so burdened with pain and hurt that sometimes we need to remind ourselves that we are still alive. And this is what the demoniac is doing. He's, he's cutting himself even with stones. I wouldn't recommend this. This is definitely a picture of a life that is apart from Christ. If you've ever wondered what life is without a relationship with Jesus, this is it. You might feel like you're free from rule and restriction and nobody can tell you what to do, but I tell you what, you're not free at all. You might feel like, uh, like you're strong and you can do anything, but literally you cannot do a thing. Life apart from Christ, left to self and Satan's rule, is no life at all. John 10.10, 10, if you haven't memorized this one, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Satan's design is for each and every one of us. But, Jesus says... I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. That's Jesus' plan. And so what does Jesus do? Where is Jesus in this picture? We know he, he went to the other side. According to verse 6, it says, When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, literally fell down before him, kissed the ground, proskuneo. In verse 7, he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Now, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here, but before we kind of get into this dialogue, we have a picture of the demoniac who is free, but he's bound. And we also have a picture of Jesus. 
when you see Jesus in these first six verses, what, what, what expression on Jesus' face do you see? What body language? What, what uh, posture? Is he, what, what's Jesus doing in this story so far? What do you see? He's just watching. Yeah. You know what he's not doing? He's not going back to the other side. <laughs> he's not running away. I love this. In verse 1, did you notice the, the, the pronoun there? It says, then they came to the other side of the sea. But uh, apparently, in verse 2, it's only he that comes out of the boat. Read it again. Verse 1. They came. They, Jesus and all the 12 disciples. But who got out of the boat? Jesus. The other disciples would rather be somewhere else. (laughs) Jesus did not go anywhere else. Jesus, I would say, is unafraid of our mess and misery. Even when it looks like this. And so this is scene number one. It's a scene of of the crossing, so to speak. It's Jesus coming to the other side. And I would say that one of the greatest assurances that we have is this, that Jesus actually comes to our shore and that when he comes to our shore, we can come to him just as we are. Do you believe that today? That when, when Jesus comes to our shore, we can come to him just as we are. Jesus sees the mess we've made of our lives. That's why, that's why Jesus said, hey, let's get to the other side in the first place. He knew the demoniac was there. He knew this guy was messed up beyond belief. And Jesus sees our mess, the mess that we've made of our lives, the things that we feel shamed by and even bound by. Jesus sees it. He reads it all. We, we do well in putting up fronts as if we've got everything all together. But I tell you what, Jesus sees it all and still he comes to your shore and mine. Still, he'll cross the stormy sea to get there. He'll do whatever he can to be with you, to personally encounter you. He still crosses seas to get to your heart and to mine. And I want to tell you something. It is a myth. No, uh, maybe even more than it. It's a fatal deception to conclude or presume that we must fix ourselves before we can come to Jesus. Jesus came to this man and he came to Jesus just as he was. Right? He, he fell at his feet. He saw Jesus from afar. He ran to him and he worshipped him long before he fixed himself. The truth is that we will never experience the transformation and freedom we need unless we first come to Jesus as we are. Okay? If you're ever telling yourself, uh, before I have a personal relationship with God, I've got to take care of A, B, C, all the way through Z. <laughs> that's, a, that's a deception. The reality is you will never, I will never have any hope of dealing with A, B, all the way through Z, unless I first come to Jesus and know Him personally. Man. So, this is scene one. Jesus comes to our shore, praise the Lord, and we can come to Him as we are. Scene number two continues. You've got your Bibles there. Verse 7, and He cried out with a loud voice, What have I to do with you? This really doesn't sound like worship, (laughs) but the reality is that this man is so, so not possessed of himself 
that all he can do is come to Jesus, but he can't even verbalize his heart need. What have I to do with you? I implore you, don't torment me. Verse 8, for he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Verse 9, then he asked him, what is your name? This, is, this amazes me, uh, that Jesus is almost bargaining. Or maybe the, the demoniac, uh, the, the demons within this man are, is, are bargaining with Jesus. And Jesus is willing to dialogue. He asked him, what is your name? He answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. Now, a large herd of swine, this is verse 11, was feeding there near the mountains, so all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. I don't know if this is really a, a picture that you draw up in your mind when you think of the beach, when you think of a lakeside, you think of calm, serene sounds and sights and stuff, but I tell you what, there are shores... I'm actually uh, on a mission trip to Indonesia. This is 2004. I was still in college. Good, fresh legs under me. And um, I remember I was uh, assigned to preach at a church that was just along the seaside there in Indonesia. And it was like an hour and a half bus ride, bumpy bus ride from our hotel to this church. And I remember thinking, like, I could see the ocean from the church front porch. And I, I always wondered why the church members, this was like a Sabbath afternoon and stuff, they, they had lunch there and they, they, they weren't doing anything, um, you know, like in terms of uh, excursions or plans. And I said, hey, can you take me to the ocean? And um, they walked me over to the ocean kind of hesitantly. They said, are you sure? I was like, yeah, the beach. <laughs> and uh, they, they kind of shrugged their shoulders. They walked me over and strange enough, um, it wasn't like any beach I'd ever seen. <laughs> I got to the edge, and, and um, what I saw beneath me was actually like a, I don't know, it, it was like a, uh, what do you call that, a sewer? Um, downspout? It, what am I talking? Gutter. Gutter, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, it was just the output of, of some drainage. And I looked down, and it wasn't just water and sewage. It, it, was, it, was, like, it was waste, literally waste, but the waste was moving. And it made sounds. <laughs> there were little oinkers, little piglets hanging around there <laughs> at the beach. Anyways, totally random. But um, so yeah, there are scenes where. Sorry, that just kind of came. Where are we? Verse eleven. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. Okay, this is seaside. Mountains near the seaside should have been a really pretty thing, but um, apparently, it turned this cure that was that Jesus had in mind was a huge catastrophe. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. Which means, how many demons were in this man? You know? There were about 2,000 sheep. This was a, an industry, really. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea, drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see, that, to see what it was that had happened. Boy. And so in this scene, this is, there, there's a lot that's going on here. First of all, there's a conversation between Jesus and demons. And uh, before we even pass by this, I want us to recognize that there are demonic forces in this world, in and around this world. Whether you think that it's a figment of imagination or not. Jesus, if we're taking Jesus seriously, we must take the opposition seriously. Demonic forces are real. 
Um, could it be that the struggles that you and I face, the hang-ups, the addictions, the behaviors, the, the disappointments in life, uh, could it be that the things that we feel bound by, uh, the things that we experience require more than just self-help? Could it be that it, those things that we want to overcome, I mean, last week we talked about character training and all these kinds of things. Could it be that that's, that's, what's needed for that is more than just willpower? Could it be that there are, but what we really need is spiritual deliverance? Spiritual deliverance and victory. The good news is that Jesus apparently has power over even a legion of demons, right? I mean, they're asking him, please, don't let us, you know, they're submitted to him. 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. So yes, demonic forces are real. Don't underestimate that, but don't underestimate the power of God to deliver you. The demoniac didn't even have the power to, of will to even like verbalize his desire for freedom. But he did have the capacity to come to Jesus. You and I may not have the power to even pray, but we can have the power to choose to come. You're, you're thinking to yourself, man, I've tried to have personal devotions in the morning. I just don't have the power. It's true, you don't. <laughs> but you can choose. You can choose to place your will in the power of God's will. And when you choose, He takes over. Um, this is about, I mean, this, this isn't just applicable to spending time with Jesus. You may not have power to overcome an addiction that you've had for decades. It's true. You don't have the power, but you have the power to choose and to come to him. You may even have, not have the power to say that you want this, but you have the power to say, God, I give you permission to help me want this. To will and to work according to his good pleasure. And at the end of verse 14, it says they, they went out to see what it was that had happened. So they hear this report from these swine herders. I'm not quite sure what the shepherd equivalent is for swine. But they come out. And in verse 15, it says, Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Wow. <laughs> so in this second scene, if there's ever an assurance that we have of Jesus coming to our shore, it's this, that when Jesus comes to our shore, he comes to restore, to make things new, to undo everything that we've messed up in our lives, to undo everything that even generationally has been messed up in your life and mine. Jesus has the power to restore that. I mean, I love this. Verse 14 to verse 15. There, there's got to be some white space. I don't know how much time transpired between the swine herders running to tell the story and then coming back to find this man clothed and in his right mind. I don't know. If they're running really fast, maybe an hour, maybe two. However long it took, it was long enough for this man to, number one, get clothes. By the way, where do you think he got these clothes? Probably from the disciples in the boat. <laughs> hey, Peter. Peter. <laughs> He's, Give me your belt. You know, whatever. And so 
It's long enough for him to get clothes, and it's long enough for him to have a personal encounter with the living Savior, to hear his word, to be set in his right mind. I mean, this is the power of God through Jesus. And this is what happens when we come to him. No, no, no. When Jesus comes to us, this is what happens. He restores. He doesn't just lead you beside still waters. Yes, he does that. He doesn't just make you lie down in green pastures. Yes, praise the Lord, he does that. But I tell you what, he restores your soul and mine. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And this, this, should, this should make us experience great hope. It should make us experience great joy. But I tell you what, sometimes this truth can stir up great fear. Seems counterintuitive, but that's exactly what happens at the end of verse 15. When they came to Jesus, when they see the one that's been demon-possessed, who had the legion, he's sitting and clothed and in his right mind. What's the last part of verse 15? And they were afraid. They were afraid. It seems counterintuitive, but I tell you what, not everyone is pleased by the picture of Jesus restoring power and purpose. The man's cure feels like apparent catastrophe to other people. The people are afraid. What are they afraid of? They're afraid of Jesus' power. They perceived his power to restore as a threat to the material things they cherished. 2,000 sheep is a... I mean, not sheep, sorry. Two, sorry, I've got sheep in my mind. Yesterday, Jaden went mutton busting, so he was riding sheep all day yesterday. Anyways, but 2,000 swine... Uh, I'm not, a, I'm not a farmer. I'm not a rancher. I don't know how much that is, but that's a serious industry. And that investment was lost in an instant. The thing is this. Jesus was attempting to free them of their preoccupation with material things, but they resisted it. They resisted it. They were afraid of it. And they asked him to leave. I appeal to you, don't let your value of temporal things keep you from experience eternal life in Jesus. And so they ask him to leave. Verse 16 says, And those who saw it told them how it happened to him, how, who, who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. They had to include that part about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. They asked him to leave. Jesus being the perfect gentleman that he is, he's willing to do that. In verse 18, we get into the third scene. Verse 18 says, When he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. Remember the last time the demon-possessed man, when he was not in his right mind, was begging Jesus, but he was begging Jesus to, or I guess the, the legion was begging Jesus to be sent not out of the country, but into the swine. This time the man in his right mind is begging to just be with him. I mean, wouldn't you? The one who restores you, the one who comes to your shore, the one who accepts you as you are but doesn't leave you as you are. This man wanted to be wherever Jesus was. The healed man's strong desire and affection for Jesus is something that every one of us faces. I, I imagine that in his mind as he's asking, as he's begging Jesus to go along with him, he's probably also considering next steps. He's probably also 
recognizing, hey, if I go back to where I was, I might end up where I was. And he doesn't want to backtrack. He doesn't want to backslide. But verse 19, verse 19, Jesus has a different perspective and a different prescription. Verse 19 says, However, Jesus did not permit him. What? The personal God, the God who wants to be with us, the God who wants to walk with us and talk with us, he doesn't want this man in his company. What's going on? Verse 19, However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had... What's the next word there? Mercy. Okay, mine says compassion on you. Yeah. In other words, that this, this miracle that I wrought, I, I was not intending to ruin people's lives. I was intending to save people's lives. Tell them that story. Tell them how it happened in your experience. Go home. Tell your friends. Tell your story. See, the demoniac's life-changing story of his personal experience with the personal God, it needed to be told and retold. And here's the reality, that the third assurance, I guess you could say in this last scene, is that when Jesus comes to our shore, we have a real story to share. We do. You may not feel like you've got a, a grand testimony to share, but whenever you walk with Jesus and whenever he walks with you, you have something of eternal value to share. You have eternal life. You have a knowledge of Jesus. You've heard from Him. You've talked with Him. You've laid your burdens in in His hands. That's a story to share of how He has had compassion on you. When Jesus gave this prescription to the demoniac, or the former demoniac, I imagine that it must have been confusing to Him, but Jesus had the long-term impact in mind. Jesus was thinking about the redemptive impact. The most, the, he was trying to maximize the redemptive impact. It's what was needed for the people of that region who had perceived his presence as a threat. They needed to know that this Jesus who comes to our shore is coming to redeem and restore. They needed to know that Jesus was thinking about other people. But I, I would also say that he was thinking about the healed man too. That for his benefit, somehow or another, he understood that this man would, in the process of sharing his story, be saving his own soul. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, sometimes we talk about witnessing and sharing your faith and giving your friend a, a Discover Bible study or sharing your testimony or offering a prayer with your neighbor. We think of that as, as, as a duty or, man, a threat to our comfort zones or whatever. The case. But what if it's God's prescription to save you? What if? What if by neglecting our opportunities, we're actually shortcutting the restoring power of God in our lives? (laughs) Jesus was thinking about the long-term redemptive impact for him, and he thinks about this for us. Go home, tell your friends. I think that's why God's people who are victorious over the dragon in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, they're victorious for two things, or for two reasons. They overcome the dragon by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. If you've had an experience, share it. I had a young person in in one of our youth programs back in the day. 
he realized, whoa, if I don't share it, no, no, if I keep it, I lose it. But if I share it, I keep it. <laughs> Did you follow that? If I keep it, I lose it. But if I share it, I keep it. And that's the beauty of this. Jesus tells us, go. You've got a story to share. People are all around us, longing to hear the story of God's restoring power in our lives. Why? So they too can know Jesus personally and individually. Go home, tell your friends. Tell your friends. I, I love this prescription, by the way. It's, it's not... Start with the people that are right, right around you. That's what he's saying. Three beautiful assurances that when Jesus comes to our shore, we can come as we are. He comes to restore. And we end up with a story to share. I want to tell you something today. Jesus is willing to cross any stormy sea to get to your heart and mine. And the question is, will you let him? Will you let him come to your shore? Will you be like the townspeople, the swine herders who said, just get out of here? Will you resist it? I urge you today to say yes to the God who sees you from afar and who will do whatever it takes to come near and to come close. He's not afraid of the mess we've made of our lives. Praise the Lord. He wants to meet you, to have time alone with you and with me. And we don't have to ask Him to come because He's already coming. <laughs> He's already crossing seas to get to us. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, we already have a picture. It's a picture given to the Laodicean church, the church at the end of time. It's a picture of Jesus standing at the door and He's already knocking. He wants to come in. Will you hear Him and let Him? Or will we keep Him standing outside the door? Oh man, friends, just say yes to Jesus. Every morning we have an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. He's not going to force his way in. We have an opportunity to carve out time with him. What that looks like, I mean, you may not know what to pray, but just come as you are, right? You may not know necessarily what hang-ups in, in your life that he wants to deal with. Don't worry, he, he'll lead you beside still waters and he'll do the work of restoring your soul. When we do, when we do let him in, we can come to Jesus as we are and let him restore who we are. Just make the decision to come. Why? Because he's already come to your shore. So carve out time this week. Simple appeal. This is the takeaway. Carve out time this week and each day of the week to do what this man did. To sit at Jesus' feet and let him clothe you. Let him put you in your right mind. What does that look like? I'm not going to prescribe that. But I've found personally that when I come to him in his word, he speaks to me. When I pour out my heart before him, as it says in Psalm 62, I think, pour out your heart before the Lord. He, he fills my heart with his thoughts. Carve out time this week. How many of you today want to say, yeah, he's coming to my shore. I want to let him come to my shore. Yeah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads together for prayer and then we're going to have the song team lead us in a song, a simple chorus, just to be close. Father in heaven, I thank you that you are the God who is already close. Please, Lord, be the God that, that draws us even closer. We, we want to be intentional. We want to make the decision to come close to you this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.